And there's another line from the movie that I just wanted to call out because I thought, as vibes go, I thought it was like the purest reduction of the vibe of the, the movie. So I'll play that here. Donnie, you're such a dick. <laughs> Whoa, Elizabeth. A little hostile there. Maybe you should be the one in therapy, then mom and dad can pay someone $200 an hour to listen to all your thoughts so we don't have to. <laughs> Very angsty teenage. Yeah. You know? I love how he starts that with almost like a Christopher Walken impression. Oh, <laughs> yeah, like, Whoa, Elizabeth. A little hostile. <laughs> <laughs> that line, I think, kind of sums up the, the, the vibe, at least in the beginning. Before the time spears get involved. <laughs> it's Britney, bitch. And uh, the Iraq everywhere, like, such as. I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. What's that? Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Oh, Charlie! Oh! Our next door neighbors are foreign countries. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank, Thank you. you. Now watch this drive. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Remember Shuffle. My name is Ben. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jordano. Hello. <laughs> Sounding nice and good and sad. You look around outside, you see the leaves are changing. The temperature's dropping. That can only mean one thing. It's spooky season. Which, unfortunately for you, Giordano and I are both cowards. So we did not want to do an actual horror movie. I watched Paranormal Activity. There's nothing to talk about. We didn't want to watch Hostel or some kind of torture porn movie. So we're not Halloween people. We're not Halloween guys. There are so many podcasts. The Venn diagram of like Halloween people and podcasters is a lot of overlap. That's why there's like so many true crime podcasts and there's a lot of horror movie podcasts. So this is the spookiest movie Giordano and I could sit through. (laughs) We are discussing 2000. And one's Donnie Darko. And to help us break down this film, we brought in, I think, my most spooky season friend guest. We are joined by Katie returning to Remember Shuffle after appearing on our emo music episode, <laughs> of which I think we're going to have a lot of thematic overlap between emo music and Donnie Darko. But say hi to the listeners, Katie. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here for the sad and twisted journey that is <laughs> Donnie Darko. Yes. Yeah, I'm seeing a theme in the episodes that you're coming on for truly taking back sunday donnie darko yes (laughs) (laughs) whatever theme could that be giordano (laughs) teenage angst and depression (laughs) so yes why are we discussing donnie darko you know this isn't the office this isn't the chris nolan batman we're we're kind of independent film buffs over here on this pod (laughs) every now and then i let ben choose a topic for the episodes (laughs) and every time he does that the episodes that typically get the least amount of listens but some of the most listener feedback like katie i will say the emo episode i think it has the lowest views of any episode but it has like probably the most instagram dms that we've gotten from fans really? to be like i love the emo, the taking back sunday and brand new episode oh right on because it's one of those things that is very special and you're like oh somebody else was into this my dad listened <laughs> to the taking back sunday one and he's like oh i decided to check out a couple of the bands uh from that episode <gasps> and he's like it was uh, some of the worst music i've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> Your dad knows nothing. <laughs> yeah, Giordano said Donnie Darko is if like the My Chemical Romance song, I'm not okay, open parentheses, I promise, close parentheses. Yeah, I said that's the alternate 100%. title for this movie is I'm not okay, I promise. 100%. It's twisted. It's deep. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a niche thing, a niche audience who really loves this movie. And if you haven't seen this movie, we will explain the plot to you. Don't worry, it's really simple, (laughs) easy to follow. 
pretty cut and dry story. Tale as old as time, really. Yeah, very traditional storytelling. Yeah. Boy meets... <laughs> 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 boy, boy meets be, rabbit boy meets six foot rabbit yeah <laughs> nothing you haven't seen before yeah. yeah joking aside i think one of the reasons doing this topic appealed to me is that this is the type of movie that we don't get anymore and i don't think we're ever going to get again like i said a couple episodes ago that the golden age of tv has passed us by i think the age of the true independent film is passing us by slowly and one piece of evidence i will marshal for this case is that everyone's favorite smallish independent film studio a24 has said that they want to branch out into doing bigger budget action movies you will have the slop you will like the slop <laughs> you're not gonna get many more northmans or bows of so i think this is a, an excellent little time capsule and i genuinely unironically still like this movie even in my 30s there are a million coming of age films we love shitting out these coming of age films especially about dudes coming of age and i think that this one is elevated because it hits a lot of those same kind of cliched beats about feeling alienated and alone and like you're that much smarter than everybody else but it does it with this really creative storytelling device of time travel and wormholes it has a very unique style so i think it it's like if the catcher in the rye was good and also had wormholes. <laughs> Katie, what's your experience with this movie? You liked it in high school. You like it now? So I watched it for the first time. My inkling is maybe around age six or so. And I... Oh, I wow. Remember, yeah, like I was... Six? Dude, Where were you listen. So I actually am a super like big horror fan. Always have been. My whole family is. So we would watch family movies together like Jeepers Creepers. And then I'd have to sleep in the bed with my parents oh my afterwards God. because I was too afraid to sleep on my own. Jesus. Um, so, you know, interesting upbringing. But I'm very much a, a fanatic. And so it's funny you guys chose Donnie Darko because it's actually... I was like, wow, that's really like pretty tame. But it, it is beautiful and people call it a masterpiece for justified reasons, I think. But I saw it and of course I understood absolutely nothing at that age. I just thought, wow, this is kind of cool. Like I know this actor, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal, he was a familiar face. And then I watched it again when I was a teenager and, and that's when it really resonated with me. I still had absolutely no idea what was going on. I, to this day at 30, have no idea what's going on with this film. But it felt very poignant when I was in my, like just entering the real teenage angst, which, you know, last and to this day and my soul but I liked it no one else I knew had watched it no one else had talked about it and I was like well I've stumbled upon something that's my own and really special I yeah I was immediately taken with it so you're already super into spooky movies and yeah. this has a bunch of teen angsts and yeah. feels did you show it to friends oh god no Oh, I no. Mean, oh, interesting. I mean, like my sister and I, and I've talked about her before on the podcast, too, because we were both like little freaks, you know? You Yeah, you sort of characterized it by being like, you know, we were out in like this rural area. We were the only people who liked this. And so we had yeah. each other and we, you know, we, we got it. But yeah. we, so they we just didn't understand us. No, you know? seriously. <laughs> to this day, you know, I'm still like, oh, those these guys. You know? My peers, people around me were into very different things. And so chicks especially were like into, you know, Taylor Swift was just picking up. And I was like, wow, I fucking am not into this wow everyone loves this like what's the deal I guess in all fairness there weren't a lot of dudes either except maybe older high school dudes who I was hanging out with and like smoking weed with who also were into this kind of stuff so maybe that's where I get a lot of it too that's so interesting Katie that you didn't show this movie to anyone because for me this is a movie that you showed to your friends like it was the fucking tape from the ring like that's how this cult movie spread around was by word of mouth among those weed smoking teen boys but 
All right. If we have dispensed with our autobiographical relationship to, to this film, let's turn now to our teen angst masterclass, Donnie Darko. So in the likely event that you haven't recently rewatched Donnie Darko, we will do a quick plot recap. Want to take that away, Jordano? No. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, sure. sure no, All right, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me give this a shot. Let me give this a shot. <laughs> uh, okay, so Donnie Darko, he's a, he's a troubled upper middle class teen living in an idyllic suburban Virginia in 1988. So it was made in 2001 and it's it's a nostalgia film about the 80s. And Donnie Darko sleepwalks and he also experiences some kind of psychosis and imagines an imaginary friend, which is a terrifying six foot tall bunny rabbit named Frank. And if you remember anything about this movie, it's likely that you have the face of this terrifying rabbit in your mind. And at the beginning of the movie, Frank tells Donnie that the world is going to end in 28 days. 28 days. Six hours. 42 minutes, 12 seconds. That is when the world will end. The voice is, is made to be very scary, although Donnie doesn't necessarily interpret him as being scary. You know, he calls him his friend. And the movie takes place across the next four-week period in October, so in this month. And the other instigating event at the beginning of the film is that while he's sleepwalking, a jet engine falls from the sky and crushes his bed. And had he not been sleepwalking, he would have died. And so Donnie feels like he owes Frank because he saved his life. And so he should follow Frank's advice. Yeah, the bunny is like clearly a human in a Halloween costume also. It's not like a cheesy CGI bunny. Yeah, and so during this month that the movie takes place in, we see Donnie fall in love with girlfriend Gretchen. He goes to class where he has a Dead Poet Society style inspirational English teacher played by Drew Barrymore who helped finance the movie. We see him hang around with his moron friends talking about Smurfs and shit. <laughs> and Donnie does every single thing that Frank tells him to do to prevent the end of the the world and some of this stuff is violent so he floods his school basement he burns down the house of this motivational speaker which, which reveals that he was a hoarder of child pornography and during this time he starts to inquire into the world what is it the the philosophy of time travel is the name of the fictional book that he that he that was written by a local kook uh, <laughs> It's a very convenient plot device that in this Virginia suburban town, it's like, oh, yeah, that's old lady time travel. <laughs> it's uh, very much like a Springfield character. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, so we see Frank tell Donnie to be destructive, to do all this bad shit. And this is so that if he does all this correctly, Donnie will be able to go back in time. He can allow himself to be crushed by the jet engine. And this will correct these unstable time dimensions. I've seen people call it time travel. I've seen people talk about alternate universes. It's a little muddled, but the idea is that once he does all this stuff at the end of the period, he can loop back and make a different choice and prevent some kind of time apocalypse from happening. And this is where I do think the movie is, it's so good, it's beautiful. Jake Gyllenhaal, Donnie Darko does everything Frank tells him to because he thinks by doing it, he, he will prevent something bad from happening. But in so doing these things, he inadvertently brings about the death of his girlfriend and then he himself shoots the reckless driver that killed her. So in his attempt to prevent something bad from happening, he brings it about on accident. And then he gets his do-over, and one of the last scenes of the movie is him just kind of smiling and laughing 
maniacally as the jet engine comes down, crushes him to death. And the final, final scene is shots of all of the lives that Donnie would have touched. And we saw, because we played through the 28 days, we saw the precise ways in which he affected all of these people. We see them all kind of just lying in bed. And, you know, some of them are looking nervous. Some of them are looking sad as there is this beautiful, haunting piano cover of Tears for Fears, (laughs) Mad World, iconic scene that plays. Yeah. Uh, and that is your quick plot summary of Donnie Darko. And there are two ways to interpret the movie. And I think it's intentionally ambiguous, the understanding of the movie. The writer or director has never gone on record and said, what's the truth in the fictional world? Which is a great move. If you try to explain your scene, it's a, a cocked move for sure. Yeah, take a note, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> Stop telling me that Dumbledore is inventing new gay sex moves or whatever, you know? he's Dumbledore is actually a power bottom. I don't need this information. So one way to view the film is that Donnie suffers from psychosis and the visions of Frank that he is seeing are only incurring in his own mind. And these voices that he hears that convince him to do increasingly more destructive things to his community, like flood the school and burn down houses and eventually kill people, that there is no threat of imminent time apocalypse. <laughs> it's just he's a troubled kid who, who goes mad and, you know, he's in therapy throughout this movie. And so you can take the movie that way. And I think that there are a lot of elements in the movie that become really good, like the way that his family treats his mental illness i thought was very touching heartbreaking yeah Yeah. especially like so this is them in 2001 saying you know and in the 80s we really didn't know what to do with people who had mental illness Mm -hmm. and which is funny to see now because now we're like you think in 2001 you like had this figured (laughs) out and so his parents are doing their best but like they have no understanding of how to help someone with psychosis and you know they do the best they can they're very sweet i think that the movie is harder to watch in this way because it's it's more heartbreaking and you're you're just like watching bad stuff happen to a family (laughs) and then donnie eventually dies right like that's a brutal way to watch the movie like i think in this reading you also i think you need to see the airplane jet engine as like metaphorical and this is the movie ends with donnie committing suicide which is yeah yeah i think so brutally tragic this is like reading it like a darren aronofsky movie right because he makes all these movies about mental illness and addiction and all these things i don't like this version uh the other way to view the film which is much more fun is that uh donnie is actually experiencing some kind of supernatural events <laughs> yes yes the fantasy is real yes and that frank has come here from another dimension to aid him in saving the universe and you know in this way the film is you can take it as sort of just being like the least obnoxious episode of rick and morty of all time right? <laughs> the frank and donnie frank and donnie donnie you gotta listen to me donnie we gotta flood the school donnie i don't know i don't know <laughs> if i want to do that frank okay, flood the school burn one house down and that'll be it okay i Oh, and you got to kill one guy. Okay, one guy. (laughs) Why are you showing me this gun, Frank? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, have you ever seen any YouTube videos on them, like, explaining the book and the plot? Yeah, so there are a few interesting takes on it. I mean, one, of course, is, right, the schizophrenia take in which the entire 28 days that we experience as viewers is actually, like, the final moment of death that Donnie Mm. experiences before actually being killed by the falling piece of plane engine. And then another is twofold, I suppose. There's this superhero concept and there's this like Christ-like figure concept, both of which I think can be argued for similar reasons. I think they're definitely more interesting than the 
uh, mental unwellness take for the same reasons you guys set out. Like, well, that's just fucking depressing. Great. What a reminder of like how <laughs> shitty life can be. So those are the two I come across the most. Yeah. It's nice that they can do that with the superhero story as yeah. well to get a little bit of both. And depending on your mood, you can take whatever one you want. But I mean, the superhero and the Christ-like nature of Donnie are one and the same. Mm-hmm. He's presented as a superhero, I think, throughout the movie. Gretchen even calls him a superhero at one point. She says, Donnie Darko. What is that? Like a superhero name? Right. I think the shirt that he wears with the skeleton resembles almost like Spider-Man or like some kind of superhero uniform with especially with the hood and if you think about it for even a second it's, it's beautiful it is cheesiness it's like what makes a hero sometimes a hero is someone who self-sacrifices it's like it's not someone who shoots lasers out of their hands sometimes just living your life is all the heroism that you need it is like it sounds like a fucking after school psa if you say it that way but it, it's done in a way that is not cringy i feel like as a teen that that hits a certain chord where it's like what if i had to save my stupid ass town who doesn't understand me yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. You know? and nobody even knew so people on youtube have broken down the donnie darko text that appears in the director's cut and they treat it like hindu scripture or they something do. yeah like this is this is biblical right like this is an historical document it's crazy it's a movie tie-in products <laughs> <laughs> and so they call donnie the living receiver who is someone chosen from an alternate dimension who can has like a, a plane of vision because of his psychosis that he's able to to see and interact with them and ultimately save the world and if he, he allows this very specific chain of events to occur then he can go back in time and mend an unstable <laughs> time <laughs> fucking tight unstable timeline time rip which he does so uh yeah so that's mostly our discussion about the actual plot of the movie hopefully that's you know pretty succinct yeah no i think i think we crushed it because nobody can ever tell you what this movie's about no no one knows nope this was shown to me by my buddy Kyle in high school. And I was like, he's like, he got to watch this movie, Donnie Darko. And I was like, what's it about? He's like, you got to watch this movie, Donnie Darko. <laughs> just dodge the question. He's like, I can't answer that. You just need to watch it. Yeah. A lot of it is a vibe. Yeah. yeah. 100%. We're just writing the vibe. <laughs> and I think like you can't say what it's about because it because it, it's ambiguous because it can be read in a few ways, as we'll, as we'll get into. Stacked cast in this movie. Oh, yeah. Seth Rogen plays a high school bully also named Seth. Mm-hmm. Baby face. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's Adorable. The, is it undeclared or freaks and geeks? But yeah, he's, he's very young. He's like 20 years old or something. So yeah, it's interesting that Donnie Darko, he was the one chosen as the living receiver to save the, the universe. Why not Seth Rogen? You know? And <laughs> yeah, what if Frank, the paradimensional time bunny, had chosen Seth, the high school bully, to be the living receiver? <laughs> I'm not burning his house down. What are you insane? <laughs> I don't know what happened. I just smoked a bunch of weed and I saw a big fucked up rabbit. Yeah, it was spot on. It was here. You're not seeing this. <laughs> <laughs> the movie ends when Seth Rogen just quits smoking weed entirely. <laughs> it's too much for him. It is sort of a classic weed. Like, you ever, you ever think about how fucked up it would be to watch this movie on weed? I remember, you know, my friend saying this to me. Even uh, this week, I like got high to watch it. And Ben was like, you don't don't give yourself schizophrenia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, that's because I, I have the world's worst weed tolerance. I'll have, I'll have an eighth of a gummy and be like, I'm going to be the world's first weed overdose. This is <gasps> Heart uh, racing. So yeah, if I, if I watched this movie stoned, I would develop schizophrenia. That's what would happen. Oh, I was fully zooted when I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a lovely night on the couch just smoking a day. It was great. Okay. Let's move on to our thieves. 
part of the reason I wanted to do this, we love a good coming of age movie. You can think of something like Dazed and Confused. You can think of books like Catcher in the Rye or Lord of the Flies or A Separate Piece. Classic high school literature books. Boyhood. Boyhood, yes. Uh, Crazy, the Quebecois film. There are so many of them. There's something really compelling about this coming of age tale, going from childhood through adolescence into adulthood. It has a draw for people, like both teenagers and adults. But yeah, it is like the most interesting life transition for sure. I feel like Ben Stiller keeps trying to make like, well, how do you make the transition from middle age to old age? It's like, that's just not as fun. You yeah, know? No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to keep throwing aspersions at Catcher in the Rye, but you all probably had to read it in high school or maybe you had to read one of the other ones, like a separate piece. And these books are taught to high school English classes because they're about how you have to grow up and you have to grow out of your feelings those like angsty feelings well the world's fucking fake dude everyone's a phony (laughs) and i do think that we like when we learn to manage or put aside or ignore or drink away our feelings (laughs) disassociation yeah i think we lose something about who we are right you you put away that teenage sentimentality and emotionality to become like a real person and you lose something and i i mean jordano you made the observation on our emo music episode it's like yeah you love we love listening to these songs they're catchy or whatever but you don't want to you want your neighbor to hear you singing like a dress Drowning at the bottom (laughs) of the sea. And I think Donnie Darko does a great job of capturing that angst and that sentimentality and the intense emotions that you feel, but in a way that's heartwarming instead of eye-rolling and cringe. We were talking about the heroism. When you're young, you feel like a fucking superhero. You're like, I'm going to save these motherfuckers. Then we, you know... We get our heart broken a few times. We take a few life L's. Maybe we become cynical. And then we realize we're not the protagonist. (laughs) We're not the hero. (laughs) But Donnie Darko lets the character feel like he is this superior person, you know, lecturing his friends on Smurfette. But thanks to the crazy time travel narrative, he does get to quite literally be the hero in it. He gets to be, he gets to catch the pedophile. He gets to be self-sacrificing. He gets to be right. Like, imagine if Catcher in the Rye ended with all of the people in 1950s America being like, you know what? This holding kid is onto something. We are all fakes and phonies. (laughs) (laughs) But the tragic irony therein is that he dies and no one will ever fucking know. Yes. Like, it's a thankless act. Even something like alienation, right? You feel alone. You feel like no one understands you. This is quite literally true for Donnie Darko. He's the only person who can see the timelines or whatever the fuck they're... What are they called? Like the things that time come out spears. of the chest. Time spears. Yeah. Is that it? Time <laughs> yes. spear? Well, no, he describes it as like a spear that uh-huh. comes out of your chest. Yeah. yeah. For which the animation is also very, very strange and interesting, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like bubbles. Yeah. Uh He's the only one who can see the time spears. (laughs) (laughs) I I said it on a different episode of this pod. I'll say it again. Very few nouns in the English language don't get funnier with the addition of the word time before them. (laughs) We also get to see his like teenager alienation through his relationship with Gretchen because they both feel like they're outsiders, but they find each other. They find themselves in each other. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a romantic under my cynical exterior but i found this like teenage romance really heartwarming they both think the world sucks and they find the beauty in life in one another and this is like a fucking romeo and juliet story man i remember watching this in high school this might be like too deeply cringe but like i remember reading the end of the world is when she gets run over by the car because 
It's the end of his world. She's his whole world, you guys. That's what this is about. And when you're old and you look back in hindsight, you're like, oh, God, those fucking teenagers. It's like, I'm going to be with you forever bullshit. You're 16 years old. Grow up. Be realistic. Whatever, whatever, whatever. But this movie, like, captures that feeling in a way that I think is heartwarming. And, like, it doesn't put it up on a pedestal. Like, I don't, I don't want to come off as a guy who, like... High school is the best four years of my life. I was the best version of me back then because I wasn't. And I know that's not true, but it's I think it does a great job of capturing that snapshot moment in our lives and portraying it in a really interesting way. It's a very relatable movie in a lot of really interesting ways, especially given the fact that so many crazy things happen and like we're encountering time travel potentially. Right. Like something that is antithetical to being relatable. But you bring up a good point. It's a genre defying film. And I think that's one of the aspects of it that is so interesting and why it's still such a popular film for people, even though it's niche, is that it's it's a teenage romance. There's some elements of comedy in there. There's some elements of horror in mm-hmm. there. There's a social satire. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a lot of things going on here. Yeah. Seamlessly, somehow seamlessly transitioning between them, just as we are seamlessly transitioning through time. Thousand percent. That's yeah. a really good point because it hits all the beats of a teen movie, like the canon of teen movies. They they include a lot of cliches, you know, the house party while your parents away, falling in love, and so it it hits all of those notes. But but it has time travel, and it's not like hot tub time machine. Like it's it, <laughs> yeah. it's serious and sincere, and uh, it's a very interesting genre. There's there's really no movies like this. That's like a coming of age horror time travel movie philosophical like, meditation yeah. yeah it's very unique sincere is also a great adjective for it that's the word yeah. i should have used when i was describing it. it is a sincere look at all of those feelings you have as an adolescent but actually speaking of something someone just said uh, <laughs> <laughs> a horrible segue <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah, I, sorry i'm really only 30 percent paying attention to the podcast i'm recording right now so this movie does posit that eternal question about whether or not we have agency it's about free will versus predestination and i've said on this pod i do have a bit of a classics background so forgive a, a, a quick classics tangent i love this movie because it retells the oedipus story Everybody knows a short version of Oedipus but through Freud. Oedipus kills his father, fucks his mother. But a lot of folks don't know the details. A huge part of the Oedipus story is that you cannot escape your fate. So Oedipus knows through an oracle or a prophecy that he's fated to murder his father and kill his mother. So he does quite literally everything in his power to prevent this crime against God and nature from happening. So as a young man, he runs far away from home, from the people that he believes are his parents, and is only undone by the fact that they aren't really his parents because he was a changeling. He was an abandoned kid. So he has no idea who his biological father and mother are, which results in him fulfilling the prophecy. His actions to avoid it brought it about. He's not some incest person murderer he's at his core a noble man and there's something so poetic and beautiful and yes tragic about a mostly noble man striving to prevent some catastrophe but in so doing brings it about and donnie darko is oedipus with wormholes he does everything frank tells him to do to prevent the end of the world but the weird series of events and he still ends up quite literally back where he started Mm -hmm. in time powerless yes he is powerless against his fate and that like some of these little touches like the fact that donnie mails the letter to the old lady kook is why she's out in the street to check her mailbox because she's out in the street this universe frank has to swerve because he swerves he hits girlfriend gretchen so like donnie's mailing of the letter is what kills his girlfriend in this like rube goldberg intricate 
time travel thing. It's awesome. You cannot escape your fate. And if you think about it, that's pretty fucking scary. <laughs> it's the scariest thing of all. Predestination. It is. it is. Thinking about the lack of agency all of us have. I mean, I think that's also why this film was so poignant when it came out. The advent of Y2K, like literally people preparing for doomsday as mm. the clocks tick down to the end of 1999, beginning of you know 2000. And, and then here we are. This is a, a reflection of people experiencing that also in the the 80s i guess in some sort of sense i mean just the the advent of like technology we can't necessarily fully control um feeling out of control as a result of that feeling out of control as a result of the political sphere around us the international sphere i mean they talk a lot about voting there are a lot of references mm -hmm. to the upcoming election the yeah. opening scene at the dinner table is about the upcoming election and it's just an interesting motif that keeps popping up throughout the film i mean does it matter who we vote for no does it matter what steps you take in your life no no not really and that that election thing is so fascinating in the context of fate because because the characters talk about the 1988 election as if it's like a, as if it's close, as if it matters. Whereas we, thanks to hindsight, we watch it. We know this is going to be this lopsided beatdown that leads to like a three in a row Republican neoliberal fucking hellscape. But they talk about it as if it matters. We know they cannot escape <laughs> time. Yeah, we know what's coming. Also, yeah, when Jordan and I were talking about this, I had a reading where I was like, yeah, Frank is just fucking with Donnie Darko because he gives him all this hope do all this and prevent the end of the world you know he gives them this faint hope of 28 days follow what i say and you can you can stop this you can save this but all the bad shit still happens and he goes back in time and still has to die and jordana was asking me like why would frank do that i was like well he's obviously a malevolent force <laughs> he's a big scary fucking bunny yeah. not a friend <laughs> yeah what did you call him like not an honest trader or like <laughs> an honest dealer no, yeah he's not acting in good faith <laughs> <laughs> no definitely not there's a lot of bad well another key theme is madness so even if you don't do the darren aronofsky reading of this is all in his head i feel like there's a lot of bad tv and bad movies that portray autism as essentially a superpower that lets you be really good at solving mysteries and diagnosing illnesses. This movie is that, but for schizophrenia. Yeah, like, for sure. What if schizophrenia actually made you more powerful? Right. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason. He's he's the chosen one. He's fucking yeah. Neo, you know? Yeah. Like, this had to happen to him because he has this special ability to be the receiver. Which I kind of like. Usually our special boy messiahs are flawless. And this guy, he's got schizophrenia. And he's like a gangly, awkward teenager who doesn't really know how to talk to chicks but somehow still manages to like make that work okay, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that aspect of this. He really is an anti-hero hero and an anti-Christ-like figure despite being Christ-like, right? He's a sinner. He like drinks, he smokes, he like gets into trouble, he floods the gym, he sets shit on fire, but he still ends up being the savior of everyone. Yeah, of time. Of time itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right before he, he saves everybody, he does the three things that Patrick Swayze's character was like railing against, which is like, you don't have premarital sex, you don't drink, and you don't do drugs. And then he does like those in succession yep. and saves it's the like world. like all in the same night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then one of the really dark things about the ending, when we see all the characters that he touched, is in this new timeline, this new repaired timeline, where Donnie Darko doesn't do the 28 days worth of stuff, the hoarder of child pornography isn't going to get outed. Right? Oh, fuck. Like that's like what, and that's, he's the one who looks nervous and shiftless in bed. He's crying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, the movie, yeah, it has this redemption arc, but it's not a perfect happy ending bow. There are some loose threads that are that are pretty fucking dark. The the poor like Asian girl is going to keep getting bullied, oh, and she's gosh. never going to get to tell Donnie how she feels now. Yeah. 
That was a touching moment. There's this like theme in the movie of the idea of creative destruction. So creating something by destroying something. And this movie came out uh, the week of 9-11. So, but it keeps popping up throughout the story. Like they're reading this Graham Greene story in school about... Tear apart a house. Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, Donnie needs to do destruction throughout the film to save the world and also needs to sacrifice himself. And so... One of the reasons why people say that the movie didn't do that well for a mass audience is because of, you know, this sort of theme throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, just like Wild, that a movie that talks about this came out the week of 9-11 and focuses on, you know, moral outrage from fake people. Yeah, you want to talk about a 2000 time capsule. This movie didn't do so well for a mainline audience. And I think in the director's commentary, they said they blamed a couple things. They blamed uh, Columbine that happened in 99. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like here's like teenage being destructive and blah 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 and then 9-11 because this does also involve like an airplane crash as you may or may not know Lindsay and i have hit a bit of a rough patch really when did that start well i don't want to blame it all on 9-11 but it certainly didn't help but also yeah i guess if if we're going to debate whether or not this happens in donnie's head or in a supernatural world uh an airplane engine falls out of the sky crushing donnie's bed and they're never able to identify what plane this engine is from something about the serial numbers you know being filed off and it's like <laughs> that isn't really something that happens in the world that we live in that only happens in a supernatural world there's never been a case of a plane disappearing and we, do, we okay yeah, <laughs> but we, but we don't, we don't even know. we know yeah but that's the point is you know what plane that is you that's knew where true. it took off you knew it was supposed to land mm-hmm. right it's like yeah we yeah. can't find it land in the fucking ocean <laughs> <laughs> but like imagine if a plane hit the twin towers and we didn't even know where it took off from yeah you completely know? untraceable <laughs> well, almost like a ufo right the fbi show up and they're like we don't know what's going on here how great, do you not know that was a great like, like almost kafka-esque <laughs> moment where they were like they have to sign non-disclosure agreements that they cannot disclose that the government doesn't know anything. It's hilarious. That's, like, that's so good. That's a good social commentary too. A good little bit of social commentary there in the film from right from the beginning. Like, can we, we can't trust anyone around us, right? We're filled with, our government's filled with phonies who don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> our teachers are, for the most part, there are a few exceptions, but they're also phonies who don't know what's going on. Our re- religious uh, features, you know, in the community, they don't know what's going on. And Donnie also, he doesn't necessarily purport to have all the answers but he's the only one around challenging these people he's the only one challenging the phonies mm-hmm. and in that this is all from his perspective of course but that gets back to the tirade he goes on about everyone dying alone so yeah. you know why does death why is it scary what does it matter because it's just something that's gonna happen and we're all gonna be alone anyway yeah that's something al from brooklyn who was on our our, our rack war episode he he brought up before leaving today was the the existential idea and apparently like, he said the director and writer was a big fan of camus and so this idea of what does it matter if I exist or not. I do love, politically speaking, I think that it is a satire. They play this awesome clip of uh, George H.W. Bush who's talking and uh, like stutters in this sentence on stopping money laundering. And, you know, the dad is sort of like the classical like suburban dad who who Mm -hmm. came to being in this decade and thinks that all forms of government are evil. The scariest words in the English language (laughs) are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. forbid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
I'm from the government. I'm here to help, which is why we need to defund like social workers. But like cops, <laughs> Jesus Christ, cops, <laughs> cops are fine. Cops are fine. The army's fine. Yeah. Like uh, the, the the violent parts of the government, we love those the best. Right? No, yeah. we, we need those so that when a plane crashes into someone's bedroom, they can tell us that they don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that wraps up for like the main themes that we want to talk about. Uh, we can talk about capitalism and postmodern takes. Well, so that's that's probably my favorite take. I would say is and and I'd come across it a few years ago. I remember just randomly reading on Reddit probably about movies whose endings make no sense and who puzzle people to this day, which puzzle people to this day. But this idea that it's reflecting back on the height of the Reagan era, but it's set in the American suburbs, right? Mm-hmm. The kid is going to like a, what, a Catholic school, very traditional, and everyone around him is just so sucked into this system. Again, no one questions it, but they're all participants, right? Like whether you're still making a choice and there's something about that that rings true today. We are consumers and we follow these standards. What does everyone want? I mean, you could argue many people still want this American dream of living in the suburbs with your white picket fence, having the traditional family, sending your kids to a good school, private school, but how... Harvard eventually. Right, Mm -hmm. right, right. We can imagine the trajectory, but... I think it questions the value of these things mm. um, and it questions, encourages us to question whether or not these linear trajectories are the only option mm-hmm. or the only answer to happiness. When indeed there's very little happiness in any of these people's lives in this yeah, film. No one in this movie is happy, They're right? fucking miserable. Yeah, Donnie Darko is like shooting beer bottles while drinking with his friends, talking about the Smurfs. Girlfriend Gretchen's like stepdad, I think is implied to like murder her fa- her mother or yeah. something. Like, yeah, nobody is happy you know like there's tension between donnie's sister and and the parents about like what her life is going to look like as a woman is she just gonna pump out babies or whatnot yeah it shows a world i think it shows it it takes this idyllic suburban american life that's been put up on a pedestal and yeah i think like it shows you that like it's hollow completely hollow it's like yeah it's patrick swayze's character yeah exactly you know he's he's selling you spiritual guidance that's it's just a it's mar it's a marketing pitch. It's like Jordan Belfort trying to sell you happiness. By lies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's a pedophile. Also that. Yeah. Again, yeah, that's that's the other like like I, I don't have like a nice bow label for this theme, but you have this huckster, this snake oil salesman who's like it faux psychology, who's trying to tell you that the entire human experience of emotions, your entire inner life can be distilled into either love or fear. And it's like, well, I'm sensing a lot of fear in this room that he says. And this is why Donnie calls him the fucking Antichrist. Again, awesome. I remember watching it as a teenager and being like, oh, if only, if only I could call out these fake ass people. But yeah, Donnie is so angry because he thinks that the human experience has to be broader, more, has to has to be capacious. That's your SAT word of the day mm-hmm. uh, to involve, you know, everything, all of it. The scenario they pre- they present is like, okay, you find a wallet, but decide to keep the money and return the wallet. Is this acting out of love or fear? And he's like, there's way more to it than that, you know? I'm doing you a favor by returning the wallet at all, so. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's 16. If a 16-year-old finds your wallet, you probably, you gotta let him take a, little, a few bucks at least, yeah. you know? Yeah. Give him a pass, you know? Yeah, 100%. 
He puts on a very, I wanted to talk a little bit about the cast and then how the movie was received. Jake Gyllenhaal, very good. Definitely like his breakout role, I believe. He puts on this affect that he, I've heard him in in a couple interviews talk about the way that he speaks in this movie. It's very childish, especially when he's speaking to like his therapist. I don't know if you noticed, he puts his like front teeth ahead and it almost looks like a bunny rabbit to me, like Mm. in that last scene where he's laughing. And he's, he's, yeah, he's very like sort of childlike and innocent. And I, I think he's, I mean, obviously like the perfect choice for this movie. Drew Barrymore helped make it. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. she provided funding for it. Uh, I don't know if she was the best choice for the teacher, but hey, she provided funding. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. she gets to be in the movie. She's o- she's one of the only actors for like positivity in the world that Donnie's living in, in the suburbs here. And of course, she's fired for it. Of course. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. of a moral panic that yes. uh, the, the Karen character starts. Miss Pomeroy is Drew Barrymore's character. And then there's the other teacher as well, played by that guy from ER, who is also a force of good. And he even admits that he is nervous about getting fired, right? When Donnie's engaging with him in this conversation about, well, what if, you know, time travel? And what if you're in God's line of travel, though? Like, what then? Right. And then this guy, this teacher, poor guy is like, I can't continue this conversation without, like, potentially jeopardizing my job because I'm about to tell you God isn't real and like break your fucking world apart, you know, but as if, I don't know, like Donnie's already at this age where he, and that's also, this is also super relatable. He's at this age where he's questioning everything, questioning the authority structures around him. And he's feeling incredibly disillusioned because he's finally realizing that no one has a firm grip on these things. Yeah. I want to give a special shout out. If you're listening to the pod character actress, Beth Grant, she's the one who plays this Karen style teacher who's trying to ban a book at school. She's the one who brings in this like Jordan Peterson huckster faux therapist for the kids. She's a true believer. Even when he's outed as a collector of child pornography, she's like, I'm going to be seen at his trial to help beat this charge. She's an antagonist to Donnie. She gets the Drew Barrymore character fired and talk about something that was ahead of its time. I mean, I get it. Like moms were complaining that Dungeons and Dragons was satanic in the night. 1980s and heavy metal was satanic or whatever all this shit is real but like yeah annoying moms it turns out are still with us so yeah so finally i just want to talk a little bit about how the movie was received because we should note that we, we didn't really get into it it's a cult classic it's something that <laughs> a detail i love is that you know it may not may have made like a ton of money at the box office but it stayed showing in the east village was it in new yeah. york city for 28 straight months in yep. theaters midnight Whoa. showings midnight showings for the hipsters 28 straight months what i I'd love to use my time spear to go back and w- go, w- <laughs> to go, to, go to one of those showings. That would be such a, a vibe. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I mean, this movie, yeah, didn't make a lot of money in theaters, but it made back its entire four point five million dollar budget just on the DVD sales. Oh, oh easy nuts. and more, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a it's a hit. You know? I heard that some of the DVDs, the director's cut, had a little copy of the time travel philosophy of time travel with it to help break down what was going on like that was generated for the dvd sales Mm -hmm. i'm just saying that's a pretty good fucking move yeah absolutely (laughs) that's cool (laughs) and they kept re-releasing it so like it, it has this like mediocre opening then they release a director's cut i think there are four different cuts of this like three two three four different cuts of this movie out there in the ether with all these extra special features and bonus tie-in products and if you go to the wikipedia for donnie darko it is a long one and i think it's because these nerds bought all four of the cuts consumed all of it and put it in the wikipedia by the way these cuts don't actually clarify 
anything. <laughs> they instead introduce new plot lines or introduce information that is contradictory or what causes you to question everything that you actually thought you might have understood, if anything, about this film. <laughs> so it just adds to the the chaotic universe in which the story takes place. This, you know, um, yeah, dysfunctional universe. And people go nuts for this movie. There's actually a podcast out there. I wouldn't listen to it. It's really bad. But they go minute by minute for this entire movie. And the poll podcast is trying to explain what happens in each minute. So yeah. people latch onto it with great uh, zealous, 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 zealous zeal. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you, grad students. Excuse me. You need to go back to grad school. <laughs> hey, I escaped. Okay? I ain't no grad student no more. I'm still trudging through, guys. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, our last bit here is just about Donnie Darko as a nostalgia piece, which is always fun for us—a nostalgia podcast to talk about nostalgia because you know we get it. We'll still talk about the style of the movie because, like any teen movie, well, I guess a good movie anyway. I don't know if American Pie has like an aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> Donnie Darko has an aesthetic and a style and mm-hmm. it's very evocative of the 80s in general. And we've talked before about the nature of nostalgia and how some people believe there is a 20 year cycle. The, the very thing we're hoping to cash in on on this pod. <laughs> and that's why, you know, in the, in the 70s, you have Happy Days, which is looking at the 1950s. And then in the 90s, you have Days and Confuses, which is looking at the 1970s. And so in the 2000s, there was a lot of 80s nostalgia. I think most people tend to say that this is because people who grew up in this era are now hitting their creative and professional peaks and they're looking back on their formative years. So you get a lot of 80s stuff going on in the 2000s, including reboots of Miami Vice, the A-Team, Transformers are some of the biggest movies from the decade. You have shows like Family Guy whose like entire premise is making reference to things from the 80s. And even in the world of music, I think that you have a lot of 80s nostalgia sneaking into the music scene. You know, I love a new disco from this era, like the Scissor Sisters. So new disco is a revival of a type of music from this decade that I really like. Uh, yeah. Also, I embarrassingly, my favorite band, especially at this time, was like the Killers. And they've mm-hmm. said that Joy Division is one of their inspirations. I think you can hear it a lot in the melancholy of a, a Killers song. If you look at the soundtrack of this movie, all of these songs became very popular in this decade. Mm-hmm. I'm, I remember like 500 Days of Summer also talking about Morrissey and some of this like British new wave and the use of like the synth in all of these songs is so much fun and so good. And, you know, the 80s, it's I think that's probably the biggest influence of the 80s is using this synthesizer sound. Mm-hmm. And I think if you listen to something like Lady Gaga or Rihanna, you can hear a lot of the dance pop from the 80s, like Madonna for Lady Gaga. They're, they're incorporating that sound. And so we can talk a little bit about the music. It's one of the strongest points of this movie i've had the song love will tear us apart stuck in my head for three days the first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning and it's like the last thing I like listen to before I go to bed now. 
it's so like haunting and the synth is so sad and good. It's very satisfying. Jordano and I have been hanging out all day today. <laughs> We've listened to that song three times together. Uh, I also just wanted to say that, uh, you know, I love this song so much because apparently it's one of the first punk songs to incorporate the synthesizer and be sad instead of angry. <laughs> You know, it's pretty revolutionary to use a synthesizer as an instrument in a punk song. You know, it's very uh, lo-fi uh, genre, usually. Yeah, I feel like the the turn away from aggressive punk, uh, the aggressive guitar-based punk music to the, you know, new wave post-punk synth-based 80s music. I think it says a lot about the neoliberal turn and capitalist realism. Excuse me, you need to go back to grad school. Because in the 60s and 70s, punks are optimistic or utopian even. They can dream of a better world. And the fact that they live in this fallen, imperfect world makes them angry and pissed off. Mm. And they're going to write angry music about it. But by the time we get to the 80s, we've shifted our focus from the external to the internal. And all that we can do in punk music is be sad. <laughs> there is no alternative. Capitalist reels of Mark Fisher, etc. That is the vibe of uh, a lot of music in the 2000s, too. Like John Mayer's Waiting on the World to Change. And, I mean, that cover of Mad World, the Tears for Fears cover, it it peaked on the British charts. because This is a runaway freight train of a cult classic movie. And, yeah, that movie, that, that, that cover is so good. Also on this soundtrack, you got some Duran Duran. They got the Notorious song that I thought was just a beat from a Biggie song. <laughs> you got some uh, NXS in there. It's a good fucking soundtrack. I, I think probably most of that $4.5 million just went to music right. For a film like this, a sort of indie film, you got to have good music. Yeah, it's not like playing Walking on Sunshine or something. They have to make choices to be a tastemaker of sorts. Yeah. Mad, Mad World, really, I just, that opened totally different avenues for me musically when I watched it as a teenager because it was the first time I'd heard music like that I hadn't listened to a lot of like I'd listened to a lot of like classic rock influenced by my father but he was not into the 80s more synthy shit you know he wasn't listening to Joy Division so you know and I've heard this said before actually that for millennials the 80s is like a shadow generation there are a lot of parallels to the sort of things we've experienced in sort of economic spheres that we've grown up in and I so I think that's important to add to the conversation about these sort of again recurring motifs like the synth they have a yeah. tremendous amount in common i think politically both decades are the last two with a republican administration the only ones i think going back like all the way to the 50s essentially and uh, you know in this movie george hw bush is winning his third consecutive election for the republicans and in the 80s you know the baby boomers are going from 30 to 40 and that's what gen x is doing in this decade and it's intensely conservative but yeah this this movie just really does capture so much of i mean i wasn't around in the 80s but it captures the aesthetic captures the vibe captures the feel like really solid attention to detail the cars the logos the brands and yeah the awesome. discussion of the smurfs for example oh <laughs> yes you know absolutely yes first of all papa smurf didn't create smurfette gargamel did she was sent in as gargamel's evil spy with the intention of destroying the smurf village but the overwhelming goodness of the smurf way of life transformed her and as for the whole gangbang scenario <laughs> I, it just couldn't happen Smurfs are asexual. They, they don't even have 
reproductive organs under those little white pants. And what I like best about it is that this isn't a reboot of something from the 80s. It is a portrayal of the 80s within the 2000s, which is like way better than being like, hey, remember Die Hard? Remember <laughs> Indiana Jones? Yeah. Remember the Terminator? Remember? Remember? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we, Jordan and I have talked maybe at some point in the future of doing an episode on Gen X in the 2000s. And I think that like that's the generation that grew up in the 70s and 80s that is like really pushing culture at that point. Because until we invented TikTok, youth very rarely actually make youth culture. That's like part of why Gen Z, let alone Gen Alpha, is part of why their memes and their jokes and their content is just so absolutely inscrutable to people of older generations. Like the Beatles are a baby boomer band, but not a single one of the Beatles is actually a baby boomer. They are all the one before. They're not greatest generation. Silent they're all silent, silent generations, yeah. right? They were all born during an air raid in the Blitz in the 40s, right? And this always happens. And I think you, you have started to see, if you take the three cohorts of like baby boomer, Gen X, millennial, you do see the gap starts to narrow. So like, those poppy bands for the millennials like NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys, a lot of them were millennials, but they were being managed by an older generation. Only now with like TikTok and like the internet democratizing shit, can you have youth actually make their own youth culture? And it stinks! <laughs> One of my favorite examples of that is that like, we'll probably never, sorry, Gen X, but we're never going to have a Gen X president. Nope. But we've had four presidents born in like 1945. <laughs> in one fucking year. Yeah. Good. And all of them dodged Vietnam. All of them found a way to get out of it, and everybody who did fight in Vietnam and ran for president lost. Yup. Who are the real phonies? Yeah. Yeah. Gen X president. That We, we should... That's here's a, a compromise. Let's make a sitcom. <laughs> Gen, Gen X, X president? president. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just one more bit about uh, 80s revival in the 2000s. I think the color palette is very similar. A lot of bright colors on black, and shutter shades are actually... Uh, you remember the Kanye West glasses oh, or whatever? Yeah. Oh, Those wow, are an yeah. 80s uh, they originate in the 80s as well. Yeah, probably some of the most obnoxious sunglasses from the era. <laughs> okay, closing thoughts. As Judeo said, I pick the topics that don't do well. But He's my, not a phony. He's not, not doing it for marketing. I'm not, yeah, I do it for love of the game. So why did we choose this? It's not like Donnie Darko is really having a moment right now. It's not like there are a lot of movies from the time period that are like this. We assume most listeners probably haven't listened to this recently. So why do we do this? I think one thing that I thought about as I was thinking about Donnie Darko a lot is that we as consumers of media, we do we we have lost the ability to deal with ambiguity, to deal with something that is ambiguous. We've become such bad consumers of media, we cannot tolerate art that isn't spelled out exactly for us. So you can look at Moron's reactions to the end of The Sopranos or the spinning top at the end of Inception. And this is just a story that I, I remember hearing from the time. The nerds on the internet needed a definitive answer to the end of Inception. Is Leo in the dream world? <laughs> Or is he in the real world? It's like, well, it's a movie. So he's in the movie world as well. Because he's pretend. But... I remember probably reading on Reddit somewhere that these fucking nerds track down the child actors who are in the background of that scene playing in the backyard when Leo comes in with the top to try and ask them if they knew, having been in the scene, whether or not the top 
wobbled or not. And it's like, motherfuckers, you need to learn to sit with the discomfort of not knowing, with the discomfort of ambiguity and nuance. Donnie Darko is a movie that just thrives in this space. There is no number of rewatches of this film that will give you the answer. There's no number of fictional books or tie-in products that will unlock it like a key. It has to be open-ended and ambiguous, and that is awesome. And it's something that I feel that we've lost. We just don't have it anymore. And oh yeah, once again, I am going to blame superhero movies for this. And yeah, there's like Donnie Darko thrives in ambiguity, which I think is so ironic given that the title, his name recalls that least ambiguous story type of all the superhero movie, right? Nothing ambiguous there, but we have all these questions. Is Donnie Darko insane? Was there a real threat of a time apocalypse? Who the heck is the rabbit Frank? Are there parallel universes or is it one universe with a time loop? What's going to happen to the Patrick Swayze character without Donnie outing him? There's a reason that there is this podcast that deals with it just minute by minute. And I think that the, the moral of the story of Donnie Darko is that sometimes less is more. This movie was written in 28 days. It was shot in 28 days. And oh, it I takes didn't know place that. in over 28 days. Yeah, it's the oh, magic that's number. mind blowing. <laughs> right? How dope is that? And so, yeah, the, the, the movie doesn't have all of this depth. It doesn't give you all this stuff to talk about. It, do, it doesn't give you this depth because some fucking dork wrote a shitload of lore. It's the spaces that give it its oomph. It's about the notes you don't play, as the Simpsons would say about jazz. I think it's all too common these days to assume that if something doesn't have a meaning that is easily understandable, it has no meaning, right? Mm. Oh, well, and, and this is, you know, actually interesting, given that this movie focuses a lot on what actually is meaning death is that you know is life meaningful if death isn't meaningful if we all die alone anyway but it's the very fact that there is no meaning that's spoon fed to you no plot line no moral that is fed to you we're dealing with politics we're dealing with society we're dealing with morals we're dealing with literally the fabric of time itself and we're we're encouraged to question all of that right and that that is the meaning right Mm -hmm. it's to make you fucking think like sit and think yeah Yeah, and I think this movie does that a lot more than Stranger Things, which, Mm -hmm. like, on the surface, I think they both have a lot in common. They're, you know, supernatural horror thrillers about kids in the 80s who ride bicycles. (laughs) 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 And, you know, Stranger Things has a lot more time to develop any kind of idea like that, and they don't do it. I love this movie. It rocks. I can't wait for 200 people to listen to this. (laughs) 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 They're the loyal followers. Just listeners. You don't need to have seen the thing to listen to our pod about it. This is the most common thing that we hear is like, oh, I can't listen to your Sopranos pod until I've watched all the Sopranos. Yes, you can. Go for it. Yeah. You'll appreciate it more, actually, if you hear our thoughts on it first. Yeah. Know how to take it in. Yeah. So that's been our Donnie Darko episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Phony. Write, a, write us a comment. We love when you fucking tweet at us or, you know, do the Instagram thing. Oh, yeah. We had a couple comments. Oh, uh, yes. We, I, I want to, yeah, I want to take the time in every episode just to mention, like, some of the comments that I thought were funny from the last episode. It's the mailbag section. The mailbag, yeah. So, in our last episode, someone made a comment because it was about the Guy Ritchie universe. So, like, it's about oh, East, East London. What's going on with this then, eh? <laughs> And uh, I, we said on the episode that in Northern English, people have, like, the most ridiculous accent. And they pointed out, rightly so, 
that what no what which one there's a thousand northern english accents and i would just like to go on the record and say that scouse by <laughs> far is the funniest and like the silliest. dumbest the silliest and dumbest northern english accent i'm, I'm talking about that one i'm being serious okay <laughs> i'm talking about scouse it's the worst <laughs> in the world <laughs> yes so good. Oh, and then someone oh. gave us shit for being Canadians and talking about funny sounding accents. <laughs> we never said the Canadian <laughs> accent wasn't funny. Yeah. Quite right? assuming. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you know, Canadian sounds like that because of Scottish. And it's like, yeah. And so Canadian is goofy. We didn't say it was good. We're well yeah. aware that yeah. it's not one of the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. I would also like to make a quick announcement. We will appear on any podcast. We've had a lot of, uh, we've had a lot of guests come on our pod recently. And they've been super generous with their time and coming on they've been great so we'd like to you know pay it forward if you have a podcast if one of your friends has a podcast i can't promise it'll be both of us but one of us will appear on your pod yeah we've been on a couple now of uh, shows of fans of the show that you know liked remember shuffle and we went on their show we went into like a zoomer podcast zoomer tombstone and they were they were asking us like was this what it was like in the 80s <laughs> we're like oh, we don't know <laughs> Yeah, I learned so many new words about the Zoomer Tombstone podcast. And yeah, I guess final announcement from me, Ben. I recently moved to D.C. for work. I have a very normie job. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if you live in Metro... You got D a job at Raytheon. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> I, I wish. I wish I could sell out that hard. Yeah, if you live in Metro DC and you're a fan of the show and want to hang out in the uh, in the meat space, <laughs> yeah, send a direct message. I uh, I just moved down there, so sweet. We can do a we can do a meetup via what? Uh, how should they reach out to you exactly? I guess the Twitter. Send the Twitter. A, send yeah. a direct message on Twitter. Yeah, sweet, cool. Yeah, and finally, thank you, Katie. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Yeah. Happy to be back, guys. Appreciate it. Anytime. Yeah, so fun. And if you didn't like this episode or didn't listen, don't worry. We got a bunch of normie shit in the pipeline <laughs> for you. All, All right, right. Peace. Peace. Ciao, ciao. Thanks for listening. Toodles. Yeah. to say yeah uh one of the first guests that we ever had come on this show was matt chrisman and chris wade our first professional guests to come on our little show and uh yeah we've been thinking uh, you know thoughts thoughts and we're not really the praying type but thoughts for for matt chrisman i think about him every day and i hope that um he's well and i wish him as good as thoughts as i can because he's he's like a personal hero of mine yeah, we haven't posted about it because we use most of our socials for self-promotion, so it didn't feel 
respectful. And, you know, it's about respect. You got, yeah, you got to give respect to get respect. And it just felt, I was going to like tweet something and I'm like, this is a platform I use for marketing. I don't want to also use it for sincere well wishes. Yeah. Huge inspiration to us. Good guy who came on our pod. Just an impressive mind and we wish him the best. Absolutely. Oh, and one last tag given recent events. Freedom for Palestine. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Dr. Norman Finkelstein said it best when he pointed out that within three days of Hamas's attack on Israel, the Israeli retaliation dropped more tonnage of bombs on Gaza than the United States did in any year of the war in Afghanistan. So within three days of October 7th, more bombs in Gaza than any year of the war in Afghanistan. And... Gaza, unlike Afghanistan, is more densely populated than Tokyo, and half of the residents are children. So the level of devastation and human misery is unfathomable. And thankfully, we have social media now to show us what that looks like on the ground, because it's clear that getting this info through a cable news network is not ideal. 